air conditioning here, so it's a temperature control, and uh, this is where we, we keep the food. So whatever you see around you, it's a maximum three weeks of stock. So there's a lot of movement in the house. So I've just walked into the Royal Cannon warehouse and I can just see loads and loads of food, dog food, cat food. So roughly, Charles, how many products have you got here? We have 200 different diets for dogs and cats and about 300 ton uh, in stock. So it's a big stock. Yeah. The stock that you can see here is a maximum for three weeks or a month. So it's going very quickly. So we have 10 vans distributing all over the UAE. Every morning we load and every morning we sell. Who are you selling to? Only to animal professionals. So we don't sell in groceries because our diets are complicated. We sell to pet shops, garden centre and veterinary clinics, of course. Talking to Jean-Charles Hamou, managing partner of St. Vincent Group, who are responsible for the sales and distribution of Royal Canin pet food, the products that you see on the shelves of the UAE. Veterinarian Jean Cathari founded Royal Canin in the South of France in 1967. He had the vision to develop a food formula based on science. Kathari began producing dog food in order to cure recurrent eczema in dogs. He maintained a belief that certain conditions occur through an adverse reaction to food consumed by the animal. Royal Canin is sold all over the world with factories and distribution centres across the globe. I headed to Royal Canin HQ, the headquarters in the south of France and close to where it all began, to have a look around the campus, the factory and research centre that groups together nearly 500 people supporting its 60 subsidiaries present in nearly 90 countries. A hot topic in many businesses is sustainability and it's no different at Royal Canin. I met with Global Sustainability Manager Fabrice Mathieu and began by asking him about the Royal Canin priority markets across the world. So to give you an example, Russia was identified very early to be a priority market and a large market. So we decided to do this factory in Russia in 2004 now. Now we expand the capacity. So um, we expand now also the production capacity in Korea, for instance. We are building a a factory in Korea to... uh, to, to be able to supply the uh, Asian market. So you see, Royal Canin is everywhere, and most importantly, I think, is not a French production. What we commit to do is to have everywhere the same quality level, the same model, the same kind of factory. So the factory you are going to see here mm. is exactly the same as the one we have in Russia, maybe on a smaller scale. Is exactly the same as what you will have in South Africa or Korea, etc. The range of products varies, does it or does it not, according to the countries and the types of breed of dog that they're having there? Mm. So no, basically the products will not change because we believe in nutrition, we believe in, in, uh, in giving the right thing to the, to, the, to the cat and the dog. So we are not adapting the formulas uh, to each country. What we are doing is to leave a freedom to the GM of the local country to say, I want to market this product or I don't want to market this product. Just give you an example. If we take grid dens, for instance, in Russia, there are very few grid dens. Even so, we have a product for grid dens selling well in some countries. But in Russia, there might be five, six breeders of grid dens. So we decided not to market this product. That's to give you an example. But products are everywhere the same. Because a German Shepherd or Great Den in France or in Dubai or in the US is the same as a Great Den in Japan or South Africa or Korea. 
I know it's broad. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. different products under the Royal Canin banner. But to give us some examples of what you have there on the shelves. Uh, we have lots of products on the shelf. Uh, cats and dogs only. So that's the first thing to say. Huh? We, we are not covering anything else. It's only cats and dogs. We have breed products. I think this is a, um, a growing part of our business because this truly shows the speciality of Royal Canin. The ability to say we have one product for one specific type of dogs or cats. I think today we have um, over 600 SKUs uh, and, and, and probably 200, 150 types of uh, products uh, for, for cats and dogs. So it's going uh, more and more in depth. This means that we extend very much the, um, the range of uh, cats and dogs we can cover. We want to go to even individualization, meaning that your hunger and virshla will have a specific diet one day and not only a breed diet for hunger and virshla, but a specific diet only for your dog. Because your dog will be, I don't know, six years old, it will be a female castrated. And then we have a specific product only for this kind of dog. Yeah, I love it actually looking at all the different ranges of things, you know, from the puppy, from the kitten, yeah. but also like I had my old Vizsla, Purdy, who I, uh, passed away last year, but she, you know, in the latter years, her diet changed. So I was taking the raw canin uh, for her sensitive skin. Yeah. Um, or it might be that the, there is a liver issue there and you have that nutrition and diet product yeah. on the shelf for the need of that dog at every stage of its life or cat. This is a decision we took very early, actually. It's, I think we really took this decision even in the 1980s when we did the first product called EGR. So that was for large breed growths. Okay, so at this time, German Shepherds were very, very popular. And we did this first EGR product. And that's a, really a change. Because before, Hills was really dominating the market, you know, and Royal was a very small company. And then we had maybe the courage and maybe the chance, the opportunity to do something else. And since then, you see that all brands started to do specific products for puppies, for large breeds, for, you know, medium dogs, small dogs, etc. But I think there was really a turn uh, when we started uh, to do uh, size products. That was back in 1996 or 1997, if I remember well. When we started to say there are mini, medium, maxi dogs and junior, at that time we said adult one and adult two, adult two being mature dogs. And that was a revolution. I mean, people, when they saw that, lots of people said, you're kidding. I mean, what are you talking about? And what you see is that we managed actually to, to put this concept on the market to be successful. And today, all brands, once again, go according to this model. There was a second revolution led by Wild Canin, which was also when Wild Canin started to uh, market um, breed-specific product. The first product was a Persian, Persian cat. And it, it didn't come like this by, by a chance of marketing. You know, it really came by seeing, talking with vets, with breeders. And in the case of Persian, that was really with breeders. When we, breeders were telling us, you know, Persian cats, you know, because of their face, they cannot take products, they cannot eat products. So we had to develop a specific shape first for the products. So that was the first change so that the cat could eat the product. And then we looked at the cat itself saying, okay, this cat has some pathologies. This, this cat is very sensitive. Why? Because of this, because of this, because of this. And that's when we decided actually to manufacture a product, not only with a specific shape, but also with specific answers to the pathologies of, of the Persian cat. So that's the beginning of the story. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> <laughs> 
So coming back round to sustainability and the yes. role that you have, um, you were saying that you saw a need for it. Just to put that in context a little bit, Fabrice, as to the sort of amount of output that's happening via Royal Cannon. It's, it's, very, it's a very, very complex question. Um, <laughs> Because you, you probably see sustainability as CO2 and uh, so carbon impact and recycling. I don't see it like this personally. So I think that's the first point we should clarify because um, the general public see, see, see sustainability. Okay, I need to recycle my pack uh, and, uh, and the CO2 impact of my transport or my factories, etc. We are seeing sustainability. This is only one bucket of sustainability. We are seeing sustainability as also long-term availability of raw materials. That's what we call it, not sustainability, but sustainability, which is a little uh, different. We see it also as the uh, impact of uh, our supply chain, uh, but it can be the upstream or downstream supply chain. So if you take the upstream supply chain, still sticking with raw materials, we are looking also at working conditions at our suppliers, uh, working conditions and sustainable development, sustainable income for farmers, who are, you know, uh, uh, producing for us cereals, uh, who are producing wheat or corn for us. We are looking at even animal welfare when we talk about uh, animal protein. We are looking at conflicting with the uh, human supply chain, human food system, if you want. So to make sure that we don't incorporate too many products that are conflicting with the human uh, food system, bearing in mind that we will be 9 billion people in 2050 and we are roughly 6.5 today. So we know that we will have to feed more people and the pet food industry will not be priority, will not get the priority on the, on the resources. Um, we are looking obviously at our factories, so energy intensity. So not only the CO2 that it produces, but also we are looking at the kilojoule per ton. So saying, okay, what is the energy intensity we need in a factory to produce one ton of products? We are looking at the quality of water. We are taking from, you know, the urban uh, water network and the quality of water we reject, but not only the quality, but also the quantity. We are looking, obviously, at the CO2. We are looking at our share of renewable energy in our factories. Uh, you see, so it's very, very wide. And then we can maybe talk also about products. We are to can talk about packs. We can talk about uh, all the legal environment also. So we want to lead the industry. We want to lead the regulation also on uh, sustainability. Because it's a brand new science, you know, that's the problem. And, and today there is no clear leader on sustainability. There is no reference. And that's an issue. So you see, sustainability is a very, very wide thing. Talking to Fabrice Mathieu, Global Sustainability Manager of Royal Cannon at the global headquarters in the south of France. Royal Cannon have an extensive range of products, around a thousand SKUs, including dry and wet food, specific to pets' nutritional and dietary needs. A diverse company, owned by Mars, and forward-thinking when it comes to sustainability, working from the grassroots up. I asked Fabrice how the idea of sustainability has been received within the company. So there are two things. When you talk about the people, I think we must first talk about the people who are doing the things so inside this company inside these four walls and uh, as many many companies while Canin doesn't make really a, a big difference I mean uh, there is a big work to be done in educating people explaining what is sustainability explaining the stakes what is important what is not important so where do we impact and where do we have control over the impact so I think that's the very first question 
Um, planet is one of the two principles of Mars in action, what we call uh, with people planet performance. So this is a very, very strong uh, pillar for, uh, for Mars. Uh, Mars is a family company and it's a luxury being a family company because it means that we want to stay free. Huh? Freedom is one of our principles also, but we have the, the freedom to invest on the long term. And this is where I come back to, to Unilever, for instance, with a listed company. They don't have the freedom to invest on the long term because they have shareholders. We don't have shareholders. So we don't need to report quarterly earnings, etc. So if we want to make an investment, we can make it and we can make the right choice. So this is about internally at Mars Royal Canin. We, we believe we have a huge opportunity on that point. Externally, when we look at our clients or when we look at our stakeholders uh, on, on a wider scale, uh, there is also a big work of, of uh, teaching, explaining, training people. Um, and uh, we see that uh, Clients, customers are receptive, yes, but depends very much on countries. If you take Austria, uh, Germany, Scandinavia, they are extremely receptive to the, to the point. And I get lots of messages from them asking, you know, also to, to explain, to give information to, for external communication, I would say. If you take France, I think we are a bit in between. Uh, it's, a, it's a new subject, but people don't really understand what's going on. If you take the US... Uh, I think we are at the level of France, and that's quite surprising because usually you see that U.S. are, you know, don't care about the environment. Uh, I was in the U.S. two weeks ago, and I was very, very surprised by what I saw. So very committed people, very sensitive people. After, you can take some other countries. Um, I, I will think about Russia, which I know very well, where I think the environment is really not an issue. Uh, because the energy is very cheap and there was not never this culture of saving the energy, you know, of taking care of things, etc. So there will be a big work to be done in Russia, even so it's one of our biggest market, our biggest clients. If we want it to be successful, it cannot be successful if it's not successful everywhere. So you see that there will be different jobs to be done, different roles to be done, different missions according to each country. And how does this impact the consumer? So the consumer, um, <clears throat> you, you pose a very uh, interesting question. The consumer is impacted first. Is the consumer um, sensitive, receptive to the concept? Yes or no? So obviously Scandinavia, Germany, as I said before, that's one point. If you take um, the US, for instance, you see that the market is very natural. So saying, okay, we have natural ingredients, uh, fresh salmon, fresh chicken, etc., etc. What we see from this trend that people are receptive to this because they say, okay, my pet is like a family member. I want to feed my pet like me. So this is not the approach of Royal Canin. The approach of Royal Canin is to say nutrient first. So we are looking rather at nutrition versus doing something that is orange or blue to please the, the, the consumer or something with fresh salmon. So salmon, usually you use salmon for actually rather for pleasing, pleasing the, the dog owner. Uh, what do we search in salmon? We are searching for probably essential fatty acids or this kind of thing, which we can find somewhere else, by the way, without putting salmon in, 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 in dog products. Um, and once again, when we have a nutrient approach, if we want to find essential fatty acids or something like this, or EPA, DHA, whatever, we can use many, many other sources, which are not conflicting with the human food system. So once again, the nutrient is important, EPA, DHA, essential fatty acids, you name it. Let's find another source for that. Let's find something not conflicting with the human food system. 
Uh, if you look at our mission today, our uh, 2020 uh, vision, we are really willing to minimize the conflict with the human food system. And I'm back to the, the game sustainability and sustainability because one day the availability will be the question. Not even the question saying it's sustainable or not. It's the availability. The impact on the consumer, but once again, uh, we, we, we have a duty, you know, we have a responsibility to the consumer to, uh, to give the, the right nutrition product. So the right products for cats and dogs, but also to uh, our duty is a social responsibility of the company also. Um, you know, we, we don't have the right to, uh, to deprive the, the natural capital. So what we call the natural capital is all the resources. Once again, uh, it's everything coming from the land, including energy. And uh, so our responsibility is to say, okay, we produce our products with, uh, by minimizing the impact of the natural capital, but also on the social capital or human capital. So all this is, um, I think it's becoming more and more important for, uh, for consumers. And once again, you see trends in Germany, Austria, Scandinavia, and also to, to some extent in France and, and the US. And it's going to come something more and more important in the future. So uh, let's be very, very uh, aware about it. Mm. Yeah. Something that came up, it wasn't on the animal show, but came up, we were just talking about on air about um, decision making yeah. and how we have lots of choices every day. We're making decisions every minute. We're making, yeah. you know, every hour we're making decisions. And the listeners were texting in of what decisions they've been making that morning and that randomly, completely randomly, that somebody texted in to say, like when you go to the supermarket and there's such a lot of choice of pet food is what she said yes. which I found quite interesting of, yep. you know you think of all the products in a supermarket yep. and she was saying you know there's too much choice and it's and it's wasteful is what she, there is a lot of choice which is a good thing but do we need to have so much choice when it comes to the range of product out there there is there is a lot of choice let's put it like this and competition is good like this we like competition we are in free markets there must be competition entrepreneurship I mean if someone wants to manufacture pet food why not just do it if you can sell it it's even better and I think there are on the opposite there are maybe too many uh, wrong choice opportunity for the pet owner uh, too many mistaken uh, products mistaking Coming back to, uh, to to what I saw in the US, for instance, this, this natural food, I mean, that's a claim for everyone. Everyone is saying, try to send more and more and more, so more than the neighbor. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, the consumer is lost. And we are not talking anymore about feeding your dog or feeding your pet, but it, at the end of the day, we talk about, please buy something that you would almost eat yourself. And I think that's going the wrong direction. So... To sum it up, I like entrepreneurship. I like the fact that there are lots of competition, lots of competition, lots of products. But I don't think we are talking about the right thing. That's maybe the thing that worries me, especially in the light of sustainability once again. Mm. Yeah. But what's the kind of shelf life then of products out there? I mean, does it vary from product to product? Because if we're thinking about not being wasteful with what we buy and making sure we use everything that, yeah. that we buy... Yeah. So um, the, the shelf life is uh, for our products uh, very uh, very much on the packaging that we have. So we have a specific technology actually for the packaging 
to remove oxygen and to integrate nitrogen inside the packs in order to to keep the you know uh, the palatability of the products and and also the the quality of the products because then there will be no oxidation you know of the fats and and, and the products um so we have a um, we, we we can with this technology keep the products very long on shelf that's very good after for the cans for the wet products you know it, it's sterilized etc so this is a very uh, long uh, shelf life um but i would like to come back to your to your other question which I think was um, about the diversity of products. Um, and I want to link that also with the fact that we have more and more obese cats and dogs. So why are they obese? There are two reasons, I think. The first reason is maybe the lack of exercise hein, because we live in a, uh, urban cities, big cities, etc. But also overfeeding by pet owners. Overfeeding means basically that you feed too, too much products. Okay, so if you feed too much products, you are also wasting resources because your cat or your dog doesn't have to be so fat so you see that obesity can be linked with sustainability also feed the right amount to your dog and cat so you will have a healthier dog or cat but you will also not so much uh, deprive or or uh, uh, attack the natural capital and and that's a very interesting point today also we as a manufacturer we have also the responsibility to to push this question of obesity I mean, at the end of the day, we can say that's very good. Buy as much as you can, you know, we'll be, we'll be make more business. So your dog or cat will be fat. We don't care about that. We'll make more money with that. But our responsibility is always also to train, to educate pet owners, also saying we are looking at the health of your dog or cat. So don't overfeed. Have, have a fit dog or cat. And if you link once again to sustainability, this means, okay, also preserving the resources. So... Uh, That's also something, a responsibility we have, and we, we must really push this responsibility in the minds of the consumer also saying it. Royal Cannon is a global leader in pet health nutrition, focusing on the most precise nutritional solution for cats and dogs' health needs, whilst not putting at risk the human food chain. Royal Cannon distributes via the St. Vincent Group around 200 diets products to animal professionals, including pet shops, garden centres and veterinary clinics, here in the UAE, to the Oman and Bahrain. 200,000 tonnes of pet food alone is produced from the headquarters near Montpellier in France, which feeds 2 million dogs. There are 12 factories around the world as Royal Cannon works on sustainability and enabling factories to be as close as possible to the priority markets. Speaking with Fabrice Matthew, Global Sustainability Manager of Royal Cannon, and I asked him about the amount of choice there is when it comes to pet food on the shelves. Once again, it's our responsibility. You are saying that there are more and more products, so we must really uh, help, support the pet owner in the choice of the products for his cats and dogs. Um, today, we, we, with 150-200 SKUs, and in some countries even more, it's extremely difficult to make the choice. And the more precise we will become in nutrition, the more precise our answers, the more help and support the customer must get. Must get. So that's why also we totally refuse to sell in supermarkets because usually you have no one anyway to, to advise you, to help you. Um, we, we sell uh, beyond nutrition, I think we sell a service also, which I think is important. We sell passion, we sell respect. Uh, and you're not uh, buying this kind of products in supermarkets. Uh, well, a, a quick analogy is always to say you're not buying your Cartier watch in a supermarket or you're not buying your Lancome or, or cream, you know, for, for your face in, in a supermarket. That's exactly the same point. It's added value. It's about service. It's about precision. It's about 
uh, I don't like to call it a premium product because that's not the way we want it to be, but it's about uh, um, yeah, added value, definitely added value. It's not a mainstream product, definitely not. Tell us a little bit about the history of Royal Canin, the origins, how it all began. The story of Royal Canin began actually just behind you. So if you turn yourself, you will see a beautiful village by the window <laughs> where it all started actually by with, uh, with Jean Catari in 1967. And it, it was a vet actually. Huh? So we like the origin saying it was a vet actually uh, trying to... Uh, uh, to uh, to manufacture something for uh, for German shepherds at the beginning because German shepherds were very prone to allergy, and he wanted to find a diet actually to to combat to fight this allergy, so he started to manufacture uh, something himself in his garage, uh, a bit like uh, Steve Jobs with Apple in his garage. <laughs> That's about the story. I don't think it was in a garage anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> they all say it all started in a garage. <laughs> and um, so the first week he was selling like 10, 15 kg, but um, the product was really working actually, huh? seeing less uh, less allergy in pets. So um, uh, it all started like this and the business started, started, started. And one day uh, they became not only a local brand, but a regional brand starting also with distributors. So they found people to extend actually the distribution to make the products more available. And they started to sell not 10 kilos per week, but maybe 100 kilos, one ton per week, etc. And it went exponentially like this. Um, and that was the beginning of the story. After, obviously, some people got interest in the business uh, with Guillaumar, who was a French uh, conglomerate um, who was specialized actually in the nutrition for, for poultry, for cows, you know, uh, kettles, etc. So this company purchased the business of Mr. Jean Catari, or Dr. Jean Catari, because anyway, he was, he was a vet and he was saying himself, I'm not a businessman, you know, I mean, I do that for the nutrition, for finding a solution, for finding a nutritional solution. I'm not doing that for business. So Guillaume bought the business and Guillaume brought actually knowledge because Guillaume was very... Um, um, recognized actually for the precision of nutrition. They really added value to the, to the notion of nutrition. And they extended the range. They made it on an industrial scale also. And uh, then Guillaume sold the business to, uh, to BNP Paribas, who was a bank, investment bank actually. Uh, and BNP Paribas, what we learned from them is actually to be more uh, rational, to clarify our strategy. So starting to be really strategic versus being, you know, a, just a pet food manufacturer. Because, you know, banks are very tough, you know, on earnings, on this kind of thing of productivity, efficiency, and all that. So uh, what we learned from the bank is really to, to become a responsible company, I will say. And then, uh, beautiful story, we went to the stock exchange. So that was a tough time, I remember. It's <laughs> a big company. <laughs> because then we, we, we became in the, in the same, uh, we had the same problem as uh, any listed company, you know, deliver earning and watch your productivity, etc., etc. But then Mars bought Royal Canin in 2002. And I think uh, Mars did a great job, first by choosing Royal Canin. Because our values, our history, uh, but especially our values and our, uh, I would say, corporate culture were very close, actually. And that can be surprising from small, local, southern France company and Mars being a giant U.S. company. But we found lots of connection between our values, between our five principles, you know, uh, notion of responsibility, of team, of mutuality, etc. So it was very, uh, very interesting. 
So I think that's why also the, that's why the, the marriage of the two companies were very successful. And Mars, uh, we, we inherited from Mars a veterinarian business, which was a small business at that time, but that was probably one of the weakness of Royal Canin when Mars purchased Royal Canin. So we got the Mars veterinarian business, and that helped us actually to develop our own veterinarian business. And I think from Mars we got uh, we got everything we missed. Including what do you mean by developing your veterinarian business? You mean connecting with the veterinarians? Or? Connecting. So we, we got a distribution. We got a name because we, we got the name of Waltam joining us. So Waltam was really uh, and is still uh, an authority in the vet business. So our products were branded Waltam. So it was really like a guarantee. Um, and it opened us the door to, to the vet business. And here we are. This here in uh, where we are now is still the the headquarters of uh, Royal Canin, and so it's fantastic to know that literally we drove past the village where it all began. So it's just next door to yeah. this building here. Tell us about what's here and what I'm going to be doing later in the day. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you want to do that, or do you want? Yeah. No, yeah. I think you're going to do a campus tour. So campus tour is interesting because you are, you are going to see the head office, but the head office is only people working, you know. Um, that's, not, that's not the most important. That's, I would say the brain, the, the administrative brain of the company. You will see, I think, what is extremely important, the kennel and catry, where you will see dogs and cats in, in a real uh, life condition. And you will be explained uh, what we are doing with the cats and dogs. So working mainly on palatability and digestibility. So basically say what we produce, is it, is it what you want to eat also? I mean, <laughs> is it tasty for you? Because that's, that's something important. Huh? If you produce food, it must be eaten. So you will, you will uh, see how we make the test. I think that's very, uh, I, I like to call it interesting, but also funny, especially with cats. Okay. <laughs> we are very fussy. <laughs> And and the digestibility obviously is important also because we need to make sure that what we are doing is is well assimilated by the dogs and the cat and and gives the right results what we want on nutrition. So you will see very happy cats and dogs. First thing I want to stress, and you will see my dog also because I have the, many of us have a dog actually here. I did wonder that actually. I thought I bet there you've got your dog there. There'll be a, yeah. So actually, each uh, each associate of of, the, of this building have the right to be sponsor of a dog or a cat uh, at the Kennel Catry. So uh, I adopted, I can say it like this, uh, Cavalier King Charles. She's 15 years old. Uh, she's very sweet. She has a little heart problem like most Cavalier King Charles. But uh, I, I, I usually go twice or three times a week when I'm here. I go uh, walking with her and we spend time together. And that's very... And uh, Cavalier King Charles are very sweet. So it's very good also for us. I mean, uh, you know, you are, you are not sticking to your office when you are bored, when you are nervous, when you are depressed or whatever. Or even when you are happy, you go to see your dog. And that's, that's very nice. We can bring dogs and cats inside the building. So we have, and that's a rule all over the world. Even in Russia, we had this rule. In, uh, the, in the, we were in the middle of Moscow, but we had a dog-friendly or pet-friendly office. So it was totally free to bring your cat or dog at home. Talking to Fabrice Matthew, Global Sustainability Manager at Royal Canin at the campus near Montpellier in France. Royal Canin pride themselves in developing and providing pet nutrition for the individual breed, the age or health needs of the animal. I asked Fabrice about the team behind the operations and the research going into developing the right nutrition. Okay, so there is really a large team and actually we, we have a strong uh, research and development obviously because we want really to lead the, 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 the innovation on the market. It's happening here 
year it's happening in uh, at Waltham that's a research center in uh, in the UK and now we have a new kennel in the US even yes that we uh, we got when we when Mars purchased I am Sukanuba so I am Sukanuba had a kennel catery in the US and this kennel catery has been integrated to Alkin come a long way since 1967 yeah. and all the developments and obviously within the pet food industry but also I think how pets and different breeds and ones become more popular than others and that kind of thing Um, so the future what do you see happening over the next few years what are you seeing on trend or where you think there'll be areas of growth so as we usually say the future looks incredibly bright (laughs) (laughs) no I I think it looks bright uh, for 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 many reasons first um, we we, business-wise let's let's put the words like they are we, we feed very, very few pets in the world. When you look at the pet population, um, I, I don't know the right numbers for, for Walkin. I know the Walkin numbers for Russia, for instance, where I was GM. We used to feed two cats out of 100 in Russia and one dog out of 100. So what I was always selling to my sales team, you know, just feed the second dog out of 100 and the cat number three out of 100, and we will win. You know, so it, it looks bright. The market is huge. You know, we are not selling cars, you know. We are selling pet food. We are feeding pets, and there are many, many pets. So, sales-wise, business-wise, very, very bright. Um, if you look at product-wise, I think the, the market is going to change. I talked to you already about sustainability challenge, sustainability challenges, and I think also where the, the pet owner habits change. You know, we are not feeding anymore uh, uh, global standard products. Um, there will be a, ten, a, a trend sorry, to individualization. So your Hungarian Virchla will have a specific products one day with his name on the bag, and I'm sure about it. I mean, uh, I take the bet. It's no problem. So we are working on I have it. a percentage of that then if he uses his name, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> the Shakespeare brand of... Uh, but <laughs> it, 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 it will come. It will definitely come, but not, not to say it's a Shakespeare brand, but rather to say we want to be really precise in our nutrition approach. And the next step is not to say one breed, one product, is to say one dog, one product, or one cat, one product. So that's that's the future trend. Um, and I think the, uh, another trend also is that we see emerging markets growing very, very fast. Whereas, you know, you see a market like France, Germany, uh, starting to be very mature markets, so where it's not only hard to get market share, but hard to find new clients even. So it's not a question of market share first, it's finding new people, feeding products like this um, but uh, look at Russia look at India look at Brazil look at all these kind of countries I mean uh, China it looks very very bright potential for growth is, uh, is amazing amazing so uh, as I said I, I, I took the role uh, four months ago and uh, in full time that, that's still brand new one of the key pillars of, of the strategy um, that I presented to the board is to say we must educate so ourselves first but educate our consumer and communicate with our consumer mm-hmm. so external communication will become more and more important um, just to give you an example now we are working with the European Commission also okay. to have uh, labeling on each product by 2020, 2022, mm-hmm. um, saying you will have all the uh, carbon impact of the products. So anyway, it will become more and more and more present on products and, and companies will have to communicate even on websites, all these kind of things. You will have to, to one day to say, okay, this is who we are. And not, not only saying this is what we do, but this is who we are and this is our responsibility. So we are working on this stream of internal communication, but also external communication. 
And traceability is also, I guess, uh, when always when you talk about sustainability on anything, is about knowing exactly where your products come from on every stage of the chain, the journey. Yes, so I explained to you that one of the, um, the pillars of sustainability is also uh, social responsibility, sustainable decent income for those in our supply chain, human rights, do we respect working conditions, etc. So if we want to guarantee that, we must be able to track our supply chain uh, upstream, so going even to the level of farmers. And this is what I, what I said at the beginning of the, of the interview. So uh, we must be able to know uh, who is producing what and in which condition. So th th that is the social part of sustainability also and responsibility for the company. So what we haven't touched on that I might be you might want to is that you you did mention but sort of corporate and social responsibility and obviously in the world of where we are seeing in some areas animals that are badly treated I know that Royal Canin has done a lot to help charities etc. Um, that's an interesting topic because um, I always believe that philanthropy is uh, is probably not the right answer. Uh, we must help people to help themselves. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is not about how much you give, but how you give and for what. So um, at Mars, there is a strong tradition of putting our principles in action, you know, helping uh, people. I think first the, the people who are close to us, because that's where we have once again first the biggest impact, but also the biggest control. So uh, we are working also on identifying our stakeholders, you know, but that's really a system mapping. You know, we must know where we are, what we are doing and how we do things and the impact we have. So uh, that's something we are we have engaged also uh, recently on this uh, work stream at the corporate level to understand also what our impact and where our impact. But that's very important for Mars, definitely. And being a family company with a reputation, I mean, the, the Mars will, will never do something that could uh, touch their reputation. And uh, I think that's a very wise way of seeing things uh, because we are thinking long term and we must really support our communities. So one day, yes, we will know where come all the wheat, the corn, etc., that we use, and we will know in which condition it is produced and how we can support and, and guarantee that these people have a decent and sustainable, uh, sustainable uh, income and working conditions. Thank you to Fabrice Matthew, Global Sustainability Manager at Royal Canin, based at the Royal Canin campus in the south of France. Check out my blog at dubaii1038.com forward slash Dubai today and click on the Animal House homepage and check out the pictures. You can also watch a short film we made here in Dubai at the St. Vincent offices and warehouse where the Royal Canin products are distributed to the UAE, Oman, Bahrain and soon to be Qatar. Stay with me for a chance to win a two-month supply of pet food from Royal Canin with The Animal House up next with Dr. Lucinda Natras from DKC Veterinary Clinic and Todd Carson from Dubai Kennels and Cattery. They're on hand to take your questions this morning on all your pets' health and relocation and boarding needs on 4001 or our Messenger app. Or give us a call on 04 423 1010.